where we're headed, what we're going to be doing tonight. We're really going to recap Sunday morning, and then I'm going to give you some practical principles on really uh, uh, building a strong foundation in your family. How many of you could use some practical things in your world to really get a hold of? And so that's what we're going to do today. So let's just jump right in. Remember Sunday, and in fact, last Sunday as well, Sunday week, we began the series called The Family Fix. Everyone say The Family Fix. So in the month of March, we're, we're focusing on the family. And when you look up the definition of fix, you discover four different applications. One has to do with the, uh, uh, that we began with, the faults within the family. You know, the, uh, the, fi- the, the family fix, you know, when you gotta get fixed. And, and so it, it deals with the faults. And so we, we fix some faults within our, in our families and we continue to do that. Then last Sunday we talked about the foundation of the family. And how many of you know the family needs to be on a firm foundation? And so, and I was pretty tough Sunday. I hope, I hope some of you, uh, you, well, you're back here, so I didn't offend you too bad, but we're, we're going to recap Sunday and then look at some practical things we can do to build a strong and a stable foundation within the family unit. Now, you may be here, you may be single. Uh, that doesn't mean you're out of the loop. You know what that means? You're getting a head start on everybody. Amen. And so take notes, write things down, think about this, ponder it with me a little bit. In fact, let's just again, open our hearts and pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, tonight we thank you that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Let it make a difference in our lives today in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Our keynote verse for this month is found in Psalm 11 verse three. It says this, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Everyone say, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, without a firm foundation, we're in serious trouble. It doesn't matter how much we love God. It doesn't matter how much we want to serve God uh, without the proper foundation in our life. Amen. Let me get you to turn to another verse too, as he's getting ready. Look over in first Corinthians chapter three. Let me just show you these verses, uh, because God has a bit, you know, the foundation is so important, uh, in every area of our life. And I want you to see that from a biblical standpoint, I just mentioned them Sunday, but let me show you first Corinthians chapter three. Uh, let me get over there. I'm not there either. First Corinthians three, Paul, the apostle says this about the foundation in verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Everyone say Jesus Christ. He's got to be the core and the foundation of our life. And then Paul goes on to say, we got to be careful how we build upon that foundation. He says this, not now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So we see it's important to lay the right foundation and then build on the right, build with the right stuff on the foundation that God gives us. And so uh, he, he really goes all out in scripture to teach us the importance of laying a strong, healthy foundation. Look over in Ephesians chapter two. Let me show you this from a, from a, a really a church perspective. 
about the foundation of God in our life in a, in a Christian perspective, just from being born again. Look what he says in verse 19 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All right, there you go. Stop right there. Here we go. Uh, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, uh, so let me just say, I just laid a foundation about the importance of laying a foundation in our life. Here's where we were Sunday. I gave you three thoughts uh, that you can uh, reach out and take a hold of. Real quick, I'll go through them. We've, if, we're, if our families are going to be strong and not be destroyed by the storms of life or by the attack of the enemy, our family must first be fastened securely in Christ. Everyone say fixed in Christ. In Christ. Tell, say it out loud. In Christ. That's the biggest little word in the scripture. It means in a fixed position. And all throughout the New Testament, you see examples of us being in Christ. And so we embrace that truth. There's two thoughts about it. There's positional and then there's practical. We talked about them. You know, you're positioned in Christ by what, and that's what Christ does for us. You see, when you're born again, he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you in him and into the kingdom of light. Amen. That's what happened. That's what he did for us. We can never do that. But we come along with some practical things to, to undergird that, that reality of who we are in Christ. That brings us to Matthew chapter 7. I'm building the foundation. I want you to go there and see it. And then I'm going to give you some new things to help you this week. Begin to work on your families and work on our families to ensure that they are established securely upon the rock. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, verse 24, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his what? House upon a rock. That's, that's a family term. The word house doesn't mean you don't like your building. It's, it's, a, it's like your family. Who builds his family upon the rock? And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded upon the what? Somebody say rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So we see Jesus again. He, now this is the practical side of it. You know, positional, it's what he did for us. Took us out of darkness places in light. Ephesians 2 says that. Practical, Jesus said, okay, you've got to hear these sayings of mine and then begin to do them. Begin to walk in them. How many of you know, if you don't do that, you're not going to really be fixed in him. You see, Jesus said, if, if, you, if you obey the word, it's like you're building your life and building your family upon the rock. I said this Sunday, it's so important for the word of God to be paramount in, in our families, in our lives. It, it, it needs to be the focal point of the family. What does the Bible say? And you know what? I've not been the greatest at that as a father, but you know what? My kids got some and they got enough in church between me, Beverly, and the local church. They turned out pretty good. But hey, if I could go back, and Beverly and I've talked about it, if we could go back, we would, we would do better with instilling the Word of God within our kids. That's the practical side of it. And so everyone say, in Christ. The second thing we talked about was fixed in covenant. Everyone say in covenant. 
And we're talking about adultery here, just to be plainly honest. You know, that's what was a little dicey and, you know, and, and kind of tense Sunday morning when you start talking about, you know, a divorce and adultery. How many of you know uh, that uh, marriage is a covenant? And we've got to protect the covenant. We've got, who wants to say protect the covenant? When, when 20% of women who are married are unfaithful to their spouse and 25% of men are unfaithful to their wives, we got a covenant breaking problem, correct? And you know what? It happens in the church. So we've got to, we've got to model that for our kids. And we'll talk about that some more. Uh, and gosh, Matthew chapter five, Jesus told us where it all began. He said, it, uh, you know, uh, infidelity doesn't begin down on the red light district. It begins right here in our brain with what we think about and what we put our eyes upon. He said, if you just look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery already. How many of you know we've got a, like Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Amen. We got, we live in a world that has got a problem with breaking the covenant. In fact, look in second Peter chapter two. Again, I'm just building a quick foundation, but some of these things I didn't have time to say Sunday. I wanted to throw them out. I want you to see these verses. Look in second Peter chapter two, verse 14. It talks about a, a world that is full of adultery. They have eyes. Oh gosh, there's so much here. Uh, I could begin in verse 12, but it's talking about a culture that has lost its its moral uh, compass, having eyes full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Understand something. That's the world we live in today. Am I right? I said, am I right? Come on now, you're with me today. Just because we're talking about covenant and adultery doesn't mean you have to sell up here. Okay. Everybody look around and smile and say, we'll get through this in a minute. Okay. There you go. And so we're fixed in covenant. We've got to be fixed in Christ, fixed in covenant. And number three, I gave you this Sunday, fixed in the local church. Listen, not just because I'm the pastor, but because it works. I'm telling you, the church is God's idea to equip us and empower us and enable our families to be what God wants them to be. Amen. And listen, you can't, you cannot deny the reality of this. And so I just want to encourage you to embrace that. I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here tonight, but, uh, you know, Hebrews 10, 25 says this and forsake not the assembling together as the manner of some is so much more as you see that day approaching. In other words, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more in tune and the more uh, connected and committed we need to be to the body of Christ. Our connection to the church doesn't need to, uh, to get less unless it needs to get stronger and stronger. Amen. Somebody say amen. I know I'm right. We talked about the fact that we've got to be connected and committed and, and the reality that uh, through the local church, our lives become completed. There's things in the, in the ministry of the local church that you and your children will never get until they get plugged into the local church. Amen. You with me? Say amen. So that's where we were Sunday. That's what I gave you Sunday. Now I'm going to give you three more words about some practical and really proactive things that you can do to build your family on the right foundation. And so you write these down, take notes. The first one is model. Everyone say model. There is a need in the world for some good role models. How many of you know our kids have a lot of role models that are not necessarily good? 
And we've got to become the role model for them. And not just for them, but for one another. Look what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 about the importance and the responsibility of being a role model to the body of Christ and really to the family. 1 Corinthians, pardon me, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. And he said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Everyone say an example. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. How many of you know he's hitting a lot of different things here? He's, lit, he's hitting how we do life. He said, you've got to live your life in a way that others can follow after and have a role model and example. He says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift. And there's just so much. Oh, man, he's talking about morals. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about being strong in the word of God and in the doctrine of God. And then he's talking about being strong in the spirit. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by the prophecy with the laying on the hands of the elders. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. In other words... We are to be role models where others say, man, that person is growing in Christ, especially in the family, especially with one another as husbands and wives. He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continuing in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In other words, you'll make an impact in somebody's life. You'll make a difference in your kid's life. You'll make a difference in your spouse's life. You'll make a difference in your brother's life, your sister's life, your work companions, and everybody you come in contact when you develop the reality that, hey, I am a role model. I've heard people, I've heard, if I could, I can't remember which sports uh, you know, celebrity said this. I'm not a role model. I don't want to be a role model. I'm not a role model. And I wanted to scream into the, you know, he was trying to ditch that and say, Hey, I, I'm not a role model. I wanted to reach to the slap him and say, yes, you are. You're just a bad one. Somebody needs to slap you because, Hey, kids are following you. People look to you. And so we're a role model one way or the other, right? So we've, and here's the reality. It's a choice. Everyone say it's a choice. Remember Peter, when Jesus walked into his life in Luke chapter five, and he said this to Peter, he said, if you'll just follow me, I'll make you into a fisher of men. You just start following me. You become a Christ follower. And you know what Peter did? He chose to follow Christ. He made a choice. Let me tell you something about choices. Before we were born again, before we were seated with Christ in heavenly places, when we were, as Ephesians 2 says, under the spell of the domain of darkness, uh, before we gave our life to Christ, guess what? We couldn't help but sin. We're natural born sinners. This is just the way it is. But when we give our life to Christ, and he becomes the Lord and the leader of our life. Sin, the Bible says, does not have domain over us any longer. Somebody say amen. And then that's where the, 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 the reality of choice comes into play. Sin's not your master anymore. Jesus is. And so we have the capacity, because God created us as people of choice, to choose to follow him. 
And that's where this role model comes into play every day of your life. You look at your kids, you look at your wife, you look at the world around you, you look at your business and you say, you know what? I have a responsibility here. God's got, I have responsibilities to others. Today, I'm choosing to be a Christ follower. It's my choice. And that's so powerful when, it, when we come to the understanding of being a model and being an example for others to follow. And that's what we need in the home. What did they used to tell us? Do as I say and not as I do. You ever heard that? Now, that's hypocritical to the core, is it not? Why would I want to do what you say and, and, and then you're not doing what you're telling me to do? It's hypocritical. What are we saying? We need a model. We need someone to follow. It's a choice. Remember, we're going to look at Joshua 24, maybe Sunday. Joshua 24, you don't need to turn there. But Joshua is telling all the people, he said, you know, if you want to serve the gods back across the other uh, across the river, you can do so. You want to serve the gods, the Amorites, the Hittites, any other ites, you can do, you can serve whoever you want. Sound like good old U.S. of A. We're Americans. You can do whatever you want. The land of the free and the brave. He said, you can serve whoever you want. But let me tell you what me and my house are going to do. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're going to do. This is our choice. You can choose to do whatever you want. But this is what I choose to do. I choose to be a Christ follower. I choose to serve him all the days of my life. Let me give you three thoughts quickly. And it lines up with the outline that I gave you Sunday. We choose to live the Christ life. I'm just going to follow him. I'm going to be in Christ. I'm free from the bondages of sin. I've been set free. Somebody smile and say, amen. Hey, he pulled me out of darkness, set me in his marvelous light. He set me into the body of Christ. He, 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 he gave me a whole new family. I'm a whole new species of being. What's the Bible say? If, if you're in Christ, you're a whole new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Glory to God. I'm choosing the Christ life. Amen. Every day. And then number two, I'm choosing the covenant life. This is who I am. I'm faithful to my wife. I'm faithful to my family. I'm not a covenant breaker. I'm not going to be a covenant breaker. I commit to not be a covenant breaker. Oh, man, there is a new series on TV that I started watching last night, and it made me sick to my stomach, and I had to finally turn it off. It's The Preacher's Daughters. OMG. I wanted to shout through the screen. I could fix some of that mess in a hurry. But we saw, I saw one... The, the pastor and his wife were divorced and they had divorced kids and they were both, co- and I don't know the whole story. I was just watching and the, the kid, you know, the daddy said, I'll help you buy a car if you read the whole Bible and all this stuff. And his mom was going, you don't need to do that. That's terrible. And I'm just going, ah, it's the consequences of covenant breaking. There's always a consequence. We live the covenant life. This is who we are. You know, where's my wife? She's probably with kids. She, we probably both at times look at each other and go, oh man, I like to break covenant because we're pretty, both of us been a little honoring in our past. But you know what? We've been married. I can't remember how long. Been a long time. We're faithful to one another. And, and hey, uh, we're covenant keepers. Amen. Some of you that are not married, hey, that are not married, make up your mind right now. Whoever I marry, whether she turn or he turn out to be 
uh, less than I expected, I'm a covenant keeper. Amen. Everybody say, I'm going to be a covenant keeper. Amen. So, in, so we choose that. That's just what I'm going to do. Amen. Number three, we choose to live the church life. And I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here. Okay. And Andrew, he got the big head Sunday because I was bragging on how faithful he is. But uh, hey, he's chosen to live the church life. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is a part of my DNA. This is, this is how I grow in Christ. This is how I build relationships. This is how I, I become more like Christ. I'm a part of the local church, and that's who I am. And, and you know what? I said this Sunday, uh, uh, the, the, the local church has just become one of many options to so many people. And when the, when the schedule gets, gets thick and, and overwhelmed, in most people's mind, any kind of church time gets whacked. Let me just tell you, so much more as you see that day approaching. If you've got to adjust schedule, don't, don't clip out church life. Don't clip it out. Don't water it down. Plug in. Get involved. Hey, you, you, you can't go wrong. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives qualifications for leaders. Really, people who are good examples. And I won't read it all. But in the church, he's saying these are the kind of people who make good leaders in the church. And when you read it, you know what every one of them says? It talks about how your family is right and in order and how you live life. And so it's how we live life and how we, we have a covenant with our wife and we have a covenant with our family and we have a covenant with the church and we have a covenant with Christ and we're covenant keepers and we, we're a part of the family of God. This is who we are. That's who God's looking for. Amen. So everyone say model. That's what God wants you to be. How many of you know all models are not perfect, right? But that's what God wants us to be, is a role model in our family, an example for someone to follow. Amen. Next word, mentor. Everyone say mentor. We've heard a lot about this word in the past, but a mentor uh, is an experienced advisor, one who trains and teaches. Now, that's okay, Jeremy, you can come. Now, catch this. Training and teaching in the family should begin at home and church should complement what's happening in the house. Again, this is probably one of the... Because church was, when, you, when you're building a new church and your kids are all in elementary school and younger, uh, I understand the, the strain of family. But listen, we've got to realize that our family not only need a, someone to look at and say, hmm, but someone who can teach them and train them in the things of God. So important. Husbands, wives, both. We have this responsibility. Husbands together with wives and kids and even grandkids. You know, uh, whether my, my daughters and son-in-laws like it or not, I, I get into the middle of them grandkids' life. I don't offend the, the parents, but uh, if I get a chance, like the other day, Ty, the, Ty was here, Brent was at work, and he, had, he needed a little talking to, and Stacy was going to talk. I said, I said, I got it. I can handle this. And it's a time to train him. And I spent a little time training him about his tood. <laughs> How many of you need a little training with your tood? Some of you are sporting a tood. 
And so, hey, train them. Proverbs 22, 6. Can anybody quote it? If you can't quote it, Lord, help us, Jesus. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Woo! You know, we just hope when they're old, they don't depart from it. But if you do your job, they may go through some traumatic times in life. But the promise of God is if we train them in the things of God, in the way they should go. Now, listen carefully. This is one of my biggies. I've seen parents actually disengage from their kids when they turned 18. Well, they're adults now. They live at the house, but they're adults. They can do whatever they want. Hello. I don't care if you move out of my house. If I have to come over and train you, I'll do some training with you. But hey, you never let go of this responsibility. Train up a child in the way they should go. That has nothing to do with their vocation. It has everything to do with the way they live life. Train up a child in how to live life. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. It's a promise from God. And so that's something that the pastor's responsibility, the church's responsibility, the Sunday school responsibility is to undergird that principle that we train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Amen. Somebody say amen. Ephesians 5 and 6 talk about the family. Ephesians 5 verse 25 has to do with wives and husbands. Interesting thing, guys, about our responsibility as husbands. It talks about uh, uh, nourishing and cherishing. Everyone say nourishing and cherishing. That nourishing and cherishing our own life and our family's life, our wife. We, we, nur- we nourish and cherish. Those two words are really gardening terms. Any gardeners in the house? I got one or two. Oh man, uh, I used to be a gardener. Uh, my, gra- my, my, my kid's granddad, my father-in-law, he's in heaven now, but he was a wonderful gardener. And, and so when I, when I got my first house to impress my father-in-law, I thought I'd be a gardener. The problem was my garden did about 10 times better than his did that year. And I felt really bad and I thought maybe I'd quit this. Uh, but hey, it's attending. It's always taking, you, you know, you, you have to pick weeds every once in a while, Aaron, in the garden. You can't let the weeds get in. You have to tend, you have to prune, you have to clip, you have to plant, you have to nurture, you have to cherish in order for that to grow and for fruit to come forth. It's the same way in the family. You, in fact, if you, if you grow anything that has vines, you've got to put a stake in there. And so it kind of wraps around the stake or the little t- tomato thing. It helps train that plant to be as productive as it can be. That's the responsibility of all of us in our families. Husbands to wives, mom and dad to kids. Amen. In fact, it says this about fathers. Fathers in chapter 6, provoke not your children to wrath. I wish my dad would have known that verse because he could irritate me he didn't, he didn't walk with the Lord until the latter years of his life. But whoo, man, the way he, sometimes his disciplinary measures, I just want to just, but I knew you can't react. Provoke not your children to wrath, but what do you do? You nourish and cherish. Amen. It's a gardening term. You know what I learned about my three kids, Stacy, Nathan, and Larbeth? All of them were different. 
It was like three different plants growing, three different uh, type uh, of pr- produce. You had to do something different with every one. There was, no, there was no rubber stamp with how to deal with any one thing. You could look at Stacy and say, Stacy D, and she'd go, <laughs> she's so repentant. You'd look at Nathan, and he would, I didn't do it, Dad. I always tell the story. How, I don't know how old he was, four, five, six he got into a Larbest baby powder, had it all over the, uh, the room, all over himself. I came in there. It was funny. I see Nathan playing with the baby. I, I said, Nathan, did you get in, in your sister's baby powder? No. <laughs> no, it's all over you. You're holding the baby powder. But that was just him. He was a little, he was a tough one to crack. Uh, and, uh. And Laura Beth, who's not here, you know, she was different too. They're all different. And you had to learn, how do I deal with all of them? There's no rubber stamp. You got to train them up in the way they're old, the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. It's a challenge. It involves nourishing and cherishing. Everyone say train. train. The next one is teach. Look at Deuteronomy 6. This, ha- this, this came to play. I want everybody to turn over there. In the early... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look what the Bible says. Oh, and let me just say, this is all throughout the Old Testament. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes. Now, let me back up. You see, you see Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 5. What's Deuteronomy 5 all about? Somebody say it out loud. Deuteronomy 5. I'm the Lord your God. It's the Ten Commandments. And he's the expanded version. And then chapter 6, he starts, oh, and, and even in chapter 5, he's, he's uh, saying this as well. But he gets down to chapter 6 and says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, and that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, uh, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. I like that. How many of you like that? Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Lord, the Lord your God is, the, is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Look in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, let's stop right there. How many of you know that sounds like a lifestyle? That doesn't sound just like, hey, we're having weekly devotion for 10 minutes before we watch reruns of Oprah. Are you with me? It is a lifestyle with our families. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates and post them on the refrigerator door and everywhere else you need to to get the truth across to your kids. Amen. 
We train them and teach them. We are their mentors. We're their models, but we are their mentors. And when we see this and it begins to set up residence in our life, let me tell you something. It's not easy. Hey, this is, this is not easy. How many of you realize this is not easy? But this is so important. And so we want to build our family on a firm foundation. We've got to be a good role model. And we've got to be a great mentor. We train and we teach. And you know what? The church will come along and undergird and help and support and equip. Let me just say, hey, Google it. There's a thousand and one resources out there to help you uh, train and teach your children and your family, even your teenagers, the things of God. Amen? The last word. Are you ready for the last word? It's minister. Ministry or minister really means service. And Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, told us that if you want to be great, you got to learn to be the servant. I think this is sadly lacking in most families, a mindset of service, that we are servants to God. Let me show you a couple of verses that from the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, look over there. Matthew 20, I'll go quickly. Matthew 20, verse uh, 28, look what the Bible says. It says this, um, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If Jesus came to do that for us, how many of you know, as, as we love our families and husbands, as we love our wives, we've got to take the same mindset. We're not here to be served, but to serve and give our lives a ransom for many. Look in Luke chapter 22. Just catch this and then we'll, then I'll give you some, uh, some thoughts about service. Luke 22. Look what Jesus said again. I'm going quickly. Luke 22, verse 26. I think I quoted it, but we'll read it. It says this. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. Did you catch the last part? And he who governs is as he who serves. How many of you know as husbands and wives and mamas and dads, we are governors in the house, right? We're authorities in our home, you know, and, and, and there's just a misunderstanding in our culture today about the role of leadership in the home. Uh, you know, and, you know, the husband, you know, he, he thinks... You know, the atypical man comes home from work and he kicks up his feet and says, okay, everybody must now serve me because I'm the head of my house. Now, it's pretty cool when that happens, but you can't govern that. How, how, do, how, does, how does that happen when you take up the role of a servant yourself? Amen. I love to be served. How many of you love to be served? Man, isn't it nice? 
Yeah, there you go. Things have changed since you cleaned the engine. <laughs> I love to be served, but understand something. We are servants. Wouldn't it be great if we embraced this in our families? That husbands would embrace it. Wives would embrace it. Children would embrace it. And we realize, hey, in the family, we're here to serve one another. So we serve in the family. Amen. Husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, this is what we do. We're servants. And so we should serve in the family. And, and in fact, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the husband. It says he loves the family, loves his wife so much that he gives himself for it. Christ loves the church so much that he gave himself for it. In other words, I yield myself as a servant in this family responsibility. Let me say, tell you something about leadership. At its very core, it's servitude. The misconception is, well, if I'm in charge, I, leadership is not about getting a, a lot of people to follow you and do things for you. That's not leadership. Leadership is serving those that God has put under you and around you and leading them by your role model and example. Amen. So we serve in the family. Number two, for the sake of, of our, our kids we, we, and, and the church, we serve in the church. A place of service. In fact, I love what John F. Kennedy said. I didn't necessarily like his politics. I was too young to know then, but I know a little now. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That's the same way about church. A lot of people come to church and they say, mm, you know, what, what are they going to give me? What are they going to get? For, you know, what, you know, what kind of, in fact, there's a new culture in, in, in America. It's, it, it moved, uh, as I'm learning, from teach me to entertain me. It's, a, it's the culture of the day. It's entertain me. Like people come to church and say, you got to entertain me. Well, you know, down the other church, they've got this, that, and the other. They've got big bouncy things for the kids. And boy, they have a lot of fun and all these things. And, and, and it's that culture saying, entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. We need to be entertained. No, we don't need to be entertained. We just need to serve somebody. Bob Dylan had it right. We just need to serve somebody. And we serve in the church and, and Galatians 5.13 says, by love, we serve one another. Amen. You know why, why, how it comes, becomes easy to serve your spouse or serve your kids or serve your wife? It's because you love them. If service is hard for you, it means you're selfish. Just selfish. If it's hard for you to serve with a smile, it means you're selfish. I always say this. It's, it's pretty cool to be a servant until people start treating you like one. That reveals the heart, right? Right? So we serve in the church. We serve in the family. We serve in the church. And we serve in our community. Our kids need to see this. Matthew five sixteen. Jesus said this. He was talking to his disciples. And he said, you're salt and you're light. And he said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And it says, others, because you let your light so shine, they'll see your good works. Not talking about the church family, talking about the community. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, the life we live as a Christian 
is not to be confined in the family and in the church, but it's got to bleed out into the community. And we serve our family. Now, here's the problem with a lot of people. Now, you got to get this straight. I see people serving the community, but they leave the church behind. They got all these community projects. I see them serving the family. We got to do our, this for our family, that for our family, that. One of the best things you can do to your family is get them in church. <laughs> Not take them on vacation every other weekend. Okay? I, I, come on, I'm just being honest. You got to get the balance of this. We serve. That's who we are. We serve in our fam, we serve our families and one another. We serve in our church. We serve in our community. And they see our good works and they glorify God in heaven. And the kingdom expands. So there's the three words that'll help some practical things to help you build your family on a firm foundation and be able to see and, and listen the storms they are coming. Now, I'm not a prophet of doom or gloom, but I have read the Bible. And if I read in the Bible, in Hebrews 10, 25, that, hey, uh, forsake not the assembling together as the manner of some is so much more as you see the day approaching. Hey, and then you just, you just read the Bible, you'll know, hey, things will get worse in our midst. That's why the church has got to be on her A game. That's why you and I as fathers and and, and, and mothers and brothers and sisters and friends and family have got to be on our A-game and build our lives on a firm foundation. You see, Matthew 7, when he said, if you hear my words and, and, and obey them, you're like a man who builds on the, the, the rock. And the, He didn't say if the storm comes. It said when the storm comes. Did you know Jesus? How many of you appreciate the promises of Jesus? Here's a promise he gave. In the world, you'll have tribulation, meaning trouble. Here's a promise. In the world, in your life, you're going to go through trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. So, we're not, you know... I'm not a doomsday prepper by any stretch of the imagination. And if I were, I wouldn't get on TV and tell everybody. Because I don't want anybody following me to my bug out house. You probably watched it too, haven't you? I'm not a doomsday prepper. You know, I, I, hey, Y2K, I didn't buy but a case of water. I, I just figured I, I could use it anyway. But, so I bought a case of water. I just not, nothing, I'm just not wired that way. If we'd had a terrible trouble with Y2K, I'd have been in, in, in a jam. I'm just not wired that way. But I am telling you that the priorities of our life have to begin to shift. And we have to reassess the foundation of our life. And say, what are we building our lives on? What are we building our families on? What are we building our futures on? Ephesians 2 says Jesus has to be the cornerstone of our life. Did you know the cornerstone, and I'm closing. The way they built buildings in Jesus' day is they, they started with one corner. And from there, everything else was built. And what Ephesians 2 said, Jesus is the cornerstone. From Him, everything else is built. Without Him... 
we're in serious trouble. He is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. Everyone say model. Everyone say mentor. Everyone say minister. Three simple words that we'll embrace them in our life. It will help the, found, the foundation of our families. We'll begin to stabilize in the middle of an unstable world. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to pray for our families. Pray for our own lives. And in the next few moments, I want you to apply what you just heard. Here's one of the big things that I think we miss. We come and we spend all this time, energy, and effort getting here. And we think getting here and, and listening a little gets the job done. How many, how many of you know you've got to apply what you hear? That's what Matthew 7 said. You hear the word and then do it. In other words, apply it. I think it's a great place to apply is at the place of prayer. Now, I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable here. This is, I'm not, we're not going to get you praying out loud or anything. In fact, we're just going to play, play a little music, and I'm just going to release you. To, you can come to the altar. You can sit down. You can kneel. You can, you can just begin to pray and spend the next five or ten minutes just saying, Jesus, help me live the Christ life in front of my family. Help me be a covenant keeper. Help me be a model and a mentor and a minister in my family. Fair enough? Father, lead us now at the place of prayer. And Lord, I thank you that tonight as we apply what we've heard, you're going to begin to go to work in our families like never before. And Lord, even families that we would consider strong and healthy are going to become stronger and more healthy. Lord, families that are frail maybe tonight are going to begin to stabilize through the application of the word in Jesus' name. God bless you. Just release you to pray. And at your convenience, when you feel led to be dismissed, you can feel led to be dismissed. But let's take a little time and apply what we've heard at the place of prayer. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you today for the word of God. I thank you, Lord God.